Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Fallon. Thanks for listening. This episode is supported by The Podcast Host. You know by now, if you want to start a podcast, they're the people to talk to first. And if you already have one, they can help you grow it too. Details are at beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for developer Sarah Swaydan. Email can sometimes be a real curse. And unless you manage it really well, it can get in the way of everything, of your work, of your creativity, of your workflow and everything. I used to turn my computer on, start working before anything else, before washing my face, before eating breakfast, before anything. I would start at 8 and stop at 12 a.m. So that's 16 hours of work every day for two weeks. I just physically couldn't do it anymore. I had to quit. I was chosen to be the Developer of the Year Award. It does give you like this self-confidence boost, but not too much though, because I'm always myself's worst critic and I still think that I'm an imposter most of the time. And I have to work on that. Yes, there's Sarah. Uh, we are going to Lebanon today. Yeah, uh, to talk to her very soon indeed. Let me just remind you, of course, beingfreelance.com is our website. You can sign up to the newsletter there and you can also find us on Twitter at Being Freelance. And thank you so much, by the way, if you're one of the people who have left a lovely review on iTunes. God bless you. Uh, it's uh, it's very nice, not just because it you know makes you feel good, but it also helps us get found. So if you do enjoy this podcast, please do leave a review on iTunes or wherever you may find us because it really can help um, share the love and get us out there and of course if you know somebody who's freelance or you go to a freelance meetup or whatever then maybe tell them about us uh, so that they can listen to this too that would be grand right now though let's go to Sarah Swaydan who is in what well, are you in Lebanon or are you somewhere else no I am in Lebanon you are isn't that a, uh, yeah, we've got a better signal than when I talk to people down the road let's let's go with this <laughs> So uh, Sarah is a front-end web developer and, I mean, well, in fact, if I read from your your website, you're an award-winning freelance front-end web developer, author and speaker Yeah. with clients across the globe. So clearly there's lots to talk about. But let's start by finding out how you got started being freelance. Okay, so do you want the long story or the short version of it? Well, a, a bit of both, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, so... The long um, well, I never actually expected to be doing what I'm doing today. Um, I never thought I would have anything to do with computers. I was never a tech girl, which is totally weird, so to speak, because, you know, doing what I do. Um, I remember we had our first computer when I was six or seven years old. Uh, I lived in Germany back then, and I genuinely don't even remember using it because that's how very little I used it. Um, I'm lucky to have grown up in the computer an iPhone-less generation where kids used to actually go outside and play and have a real life instead of just a <laughs> virtual one. Yeah, so I spent, um, then I spent most of my teenagehood between school and home and 99% of my time at home I spent drawing. So I was literally the opposite of a geek. Um, that said, I took my first computer class when I was in eighth grade. Um, the teacher introduced us to HTML in one of the sessions and I fell in love with it instantaneously. Seeing those tags and writing the code felt so natural. Um, it was like I had been speaking that language my entire life without knowing it. Sort of like when Harry Potter knew he could uh, speak Parseltongue. So it's kind of <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the same. Um, our computer sessions were actually were well, they were very short. Like we didn't get too much in depth with it. 
but I was extremely curious to learn more. So I ended up borrowing an HTML course book, course book from someone in college and reading through the material after getting back home from school every day. Uh, so I got so comfortable with HTML back then uh, that, that, that my teacher literally gave me an A plus on the test without letting me even take the test which I'm pretty proud of. Yeah. Now, as much as I enjoyed doing this, I eventually had to stop because as soon as I got to ninth grade, I had to start focusing a lot more on my studies and I didn't have enough time to work on something else. And the computer sessions were basically done by then, so we didn't really do any HTML at that point at all. Uh, I stopped for a few years, but during that time, I, I used to miss HTML and I used to even write fancy emails to my friends as web pages. Like I used to write the emails as HTML uh, yeah, with a fixed background and really nice effects, and then I would attach those to an actual email. That's how much I loved writing HTML. Um, now, during my last school uh, year, I, I wasn't really sure what to study in college. What I wanted to do was architecture, but back then my best option to study that was to go, get into a private uh, university, which we couldn't afford at that time. So um, I had to choose between one of the available courses in the Lebanese university, which is the only public university in Lebanon. Uh, computer science sounded like the least boring of all, so I took it. I didn't really like it, even during my first year. So during the second semester of the first year, I almost switched majors to physics, which means that I wouldn't be here today at all. Um, during the second year of college, I started liking it more. I took back-end development courses, PHP, MySQL, I think, and databases and stuff like that. And a couple of front-end courses, JavaScript and HTML, CSS, but I never attended those. So by the time I graduated, I had zero JavaScript and CSS knowledge. Um, after graduation, I wasn't sure what to do for a living. Uh, many people I know here um, recommended teaching as a job. Uh, so for like six, uh, 18 months, a year and a half, I was basically lost, not knowing what to do. I took a teaching job at a school. Uh, I quit after 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I just, I, I just couldn't do it. I mean... I can't reason with small kids. I mean, they're all like first and second and third graders. And how am I supposed to teach them computer? They spent all the time just like, like teacher, that guy hit me. He took my pencils. He did. So I felt more like a judge than a teacher. It killed me. <laughs> I quit 90 minutes into it. And I decided I wanted to do something like I, there was a, a little bit of pressure from everyone around me. Like you should like it's been 19 months and you should do something like you should start being productive with your life. Um, but then uh, a friend of mine, uh, he is also a web designer and a developer. Um, back then we were talking and he was like, why don't you get into web development? I said, I, I mean, I've never even thought about it. Uh, but he knew how much I loved HTML earlier before that. So he said, I mean, you have a computer science major and uh, you love HTML. So all you have to do is just learn CSS and JavaScript and that could kick, you know, kickstart this whole development thing on the web. And then you could learn more as you go. So I thought, okay, why not? Um, he actually taught me how to write CSS. I, we had like 10 lessons. In each lesson, he would design a very simple web page. It got more complex as the more, uh, with like on the fifth lesson or 10th lesson, they were more complex. I, I loved it. I liked it. I got moments where I almost cried when like he showed me properties and values that I never had that I'd never heard of and I got headaches because I couldn't know how to do something, which always kills me. Um, I started googling. I found CSS tricks, I found code drops, um, I started learning more. 
I got more comfortable writing CSS. I started experimenting with the stuff that I learned. So uh, I started uh, a CodePen account. Um, this is slowly getting to uh, the moment where I just, where I literally started like freelancing and getting jobs out of it. So I started at CodePen. I started experimenting. I, my first CodePen was, I think, um, creating a 3D button effect using CSS shadows and box shadows. That was amazing. Um, yeah, I just continued doing that. Uh, whenever I felt like I wanted to create something, I didn't know how to do it. So I would research the properties that I needed to learn in order to do it. And I would learn them and then I would experiment. I started getting uh, some of my pens picked. I still remember the feeling that I got after one of my pens got picked. That was amazing. Um, okay, hang on. Do you know, we should explain what code pen is then very briefly for people who don't know. Okay. It's a code playground. So basically, if you create an account, or even if you don't create one, you get this uh, page where you have CSS, HTML, and JavaScript panels where you write the code, like literally code editors inside of the browser. And then you have a panel where you get the results of what you're doing. So instead of having a local setup where you have to have a code editor and then a browser and then maybe um, a compiler if you're using SAS or whatever, you have everything in there and you can just start writing code and seeing the result in front of you. And you can share that with people and um, it can be seen publicly or if you are a member, you can also choose to, um, if you're a pro member, you can choose to have your pens be private, which is a fantastic feature if you're doing like personal experiments and stuff that you don't want to share yet. Um, so yeah, my pens were at first, uh, I didn't have a pro account. Uh, there weren't even pro accounts at that time. So um, my pens were public and the code pen team usually picks a few pens from the public um, um, how do you call that? So basically there's a lot of pens and they pick a few of them and then they display them on the homepage of CodePen. And picking a pen is like, like you get your work um, exposed in a way. It was fantastic. Mm. And the community has grown a lot on CodePen ever since. So you do get some exposure there with other developers and stuff like that. Um, I started working there more. I started learning. I started getting into JavaScript shortly, a few months after that. Um, I found myself starting to get stuck, like I didn't really know what to learn. Uh, I think it was at the end of 2012, I think. Uh, so I was curious, like I wanted to learn CSS animations, but I didn't know what to use them for. And at that time I was just trying out Windows 8 and it has all of these uh, Metro animations and 3D effects. So I thought I should be able to recreate these effects using CSS. Um, and so I did. Um, after doing that, I wrote an article about how I did that and I showed the demo. I, just, I put it on CodePen as well as on my website and then I wrote the article. Um, that was the thing that got me out there. So my article got so many views. It got shared by Smashing Magazine, by everyone on Twitter, on, on Facebook. I never expected that. And then <laughs> that CodePen, the Windows 8 CodePen, is what got me my, my first job offer from uh, an American client via CodePen. So I got my first job offer wow. via CodePen, literally like they have this email. So someone can basically email you if you want them to. And I had my messages open. I got an email and that was my first gig. Wow. So for, <laughs> so for your, your very first blog post on your, yes. on your website got 
just went massively viral and led to your first freelance gig. That's yes. such an amazing. Exactly. How often does that happen? Um, and it's funny because I, I, um, I've looked at that. So uh, I've, I've seen that very first blog post and mm-hmm. the, the Windows 8 animations. So it was because you saw something and you decided to basically break under the hood, see how it works, and then you documented uh, that for everybody to see. Exactly. Uh, I love I love breaking ideas down into some like I love teaching. I love helping people understand concepts and the more complex the concept is. I'm not saying that CSS 3D was complex at that time, but um, I sort of have a talent for doing that. And so I, I, I just love writing and um, I was able to code and then take it further and use my writing skills and write about the stuff that I coded and I still do it and I very much enjoy it. And people, thankfully, they're, they're able to relate to, to my writing style and that also helped a lot. So I started getting um, more requests for writing more articles on other magazines, such as Alice Depart and CSS Tricks and Code Drops, which eventually led to writing um, the, uh, the Code Drop CSS reference. So, so this is incredible, really. But it, it's So your very first blog posts leads to demands for more blog posts, so you write more. Mm-hmm. And then that leads for, to requests for you to write for really well high profile online magazines mm-hmm. within your industry which means more people within that industry find you and then start to hire you exactly more and more so i'm gonna take a guess here but it might not be the case have you ever actually had to apply for jobs or has everybody found you through your writing i have never had to apply for a job and i'm extremely blessed and thankful for wow. that so everybody comes knocking on your door because they've seen your writing that you just happen to start just to, you know, as a learning yourself thing. Um, yeah, I would say that. It started <laughs> that way. It started that it's way. It's amazing, isn't it? Thank you. Yeah, but um, it, it started that way. But now it's not just the article. Like um, I have, uh, if I'm going to talk about my portfolio, it's... It's not really big because, I mean, I used to do stuff before in the first couple of years. I used to do some client requests that I don't do anymore. And that's why, for example, my portfolio currently only contains two case studies. And the third one is a work in progress. Um, I could have more work displayed there, but I once read something and it was a really nice tip. Like It says that only put the stuff in your portfolio, uh, like the stuff that... How do you even phrase that? Um, so basically, only put examples of work that you want to keep doing in the future. So basically, mm. the stuff that I used to do in the past is not something I'm still interested in doing now. And that's why I don't even think about displaying them on my portfolio. So where did it grow from there? So you had people coming to you looking for work. How did your sort of freelance career evolve from there? So we're talking about like 2013. So it's only... A few years ago, it sounds like you've traveled a long way. Yeah, yes, I have. Um, so it started with um, writing, uh, then I got writing requests, which was part of how I made money at that time. And then there was development requests. And then at some point, also because of my articles, I got my very first uh, speaking request from, um, her name was Michelle Barker, and she used to work for the Future of Web Design Conference. So they basically have this uh, two tracks conference. One of them is the main track, and the other one is, um, it's called the Rising Stars track. So basically new people in the community who have something interesting to share, and but don't have any experience speaking, would speak in the Rising Stars track. And she was interested in what I had to say, and what I was writing, actually. 
and thought, um, like, why don't you speak about the stuff that you're writing about at our conference on the st uh, Rising, st uh, Rising Stars track? Um, my first reaction was no, no way. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even think about that. But then when I told everyone about that, like, hey, mom, hey, dad, how, hey, my friends, I got this request and it's crazy. Everyone was like, no, why is it crazy? Why don't you do it? Um, so that's when I started considering it a little bit because like one of my friends was like, what do you have to lose? It's like, I mean, you're already sharing this stuff in writing, so you could share it in speaking as well. And I also love speaking. I also happen to love speaking. I used to do it um, in school as well. I used to give classes in school and in university. I never had any problem standing in front of a big number of people. But I never thought that I would like travel to another country to do that. <laughs> and I would be speaking and not in my native language, in a different language. So I had like these insecurities and I wasn't really sure if I would be able to do that. So I decided to finally say yes. And in order to travel, I had to apply for a visa because because um, if you're carrying a Lebanese passport, you have to apply for a visa for almost um, the vast majority of the countries of the world. So I applied for a visa and I didn't get it. Oh, no. Yeah, it was a total disappointment. Like I was finally ready to do it and to speak, but I didn't get the visa. So I was determined to like sort of like, okay, if they don't let me do that, I am so stubborn that I'm going to try to do it anyway. So I ended up, after future web design, like a month after that, there was CSS Conf. Um, it was held in, in the US, in Florida back then. So a friend of mine suggested like, okay, since you're already ready to speak, why don't you apply for CSS Conf? Um, they didn't choose their speakers back then, so I had to apply. I sent, I think, one or two um, talk proposals. Uh, one of them got picked, actually. So after picking the topic, they liked the topic, uh, they asked me if I could record um, a video of myself speaking, just so they, I mean, no one had seen me speaking in English before, so they didn't know if I would actually be able to do it. So I recorded a video. I sent the video, and they loved it. So basically, I was able to speak in English, much better than they maybe thought that I would be able to. And they accepted my proposal. So I, again, had to apply for a visa, which I did. And surprisingly, I got it. <laughs> yes, I was able to make it to CSSConf and I gave my first talk there. And the feedback for that talk was so amazing that I got another talk request during CSSConf. Um, CSSConf EU organizer, Christina Schneider, she was at CSSConf US. And she asked me if I would do the same talk at CSSConf EU. And I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so that's basically how it started. So it started with writing, and then writing led to speaking and uh, development. And it just snowballs sort of from there, especially if you first and foremost are considered um, God's blessing, definitely. And then comes your personal work. Like I have been doing my best to keep it up. And... I love speaking, I love writing, I love doing this. Um, yeah, so it's just kept going from there. So how much time would you say that you get to put into these, I guess like your personal projects, which end up being what you write about? Because obviously you have to do that alongside your actual work that you're being paid for, if you see what I mean. So you're asking how much time I have to spend on side projects? Yeah. Okay, um, I used to have a lot more than I have today. So I used to have a lot more time to dig into CSS specifications, SVG stuff, 
And the more time I had to dig into them, the more time I had to learn and the more time I had to write. But I haven't been writing for weeks now because I haven't had enough time for that. Or to put it another way, when I have client work and I have, for example, stuff that I want to learn about, I have to prioritize. And in this case, I definitely prioritize client work. And during the past few weeks, I haven't been able to prioritize writing again, which is why I haven't been doing much in, like, in the last few months. It's sort of disappointing that I haven't been working on any side, on any side projects recently. But um, I'm not very sad about it because the projects that I am working on are so amazing. I mean, I love working on them. So it's like, it does feel like I'm still working on, on a hobby, on something personal, <laughs> even though it's not yeah. really like mine. It's my client's work, but it feels personal because I love the projects that I work on and I'm... I've been extremely lucky to have been working with amazing people recently. Like all of my clients in the last uh, 18 months or so, they're amazing. And the projects are really nice I, that I can definitely relate to. So it does feel like I'm, work, I'm working on something personal, even if I'm not literally working on something that's mine. Yeah. Obviously, you work with clients around the world. So is it all remote or do you find yourself traveling a lot? Uh, no, it's all remote so far. So unless, uh, like, unless if, if, if I work in the future with a client that wants me to, for example, travel to wherever they are for a week or two, then I, I wouldn't mind do that. But so far, all of the work has been remote, yes. So how do you find dealing with the client relationship and the work, like talking to them on a daily basis or weekly basis, the communication of it? Okay, so I'm going to focus on the recent projects because um, there has been sort of a pattern with my latest clients recently, and I like this pattern I think I expect more clients will be doing the same so um, all client communication usually happens in slack or via email or via skype like we use skype usually for meetings that require actually speaking not just writing so the only thing that I do have usually usually have to mention when it comes to communication is time zones half of my clients so far have been American there's at least seven, between seven and 10 hours of time difference between here and there. So I usually have to work on when I would be available for them, when we would all be online at the same time. So sometimes I shift my work schedule so that I work um, later during the day. So instead of stopping my work hours, for example, at 5 p.m., I might um, start at four and stop at eight. Okay, so yeah, the, yeah, yeah. depending on the time zone. So if I know that they're going to be online during that time and I have to be, we have to be online at the same time eventually to discuss the work. So yeah, that's how I usually deal with it. We have Slack, we have email, we have Skype, and then we like shift the, the hours to fit both of our schedules. Cool. How do you kind of like stay, I guess, productive or, and I don't know, maybe I don't that know, is live so alone hard. or whatever, but... <sighs> I don't live alone and it's so hard to be productive. I mean, actually, you end up, you become so productive at some point that you start moving backwards. So basically, <laughs> yeah, literally. Like what I usually t uh, tend to do, but I've been really working on it recently, is I overwork a lot. Um, time management has been one of my weakest points, basically. So I would work all day, sometimes even during the night. I try not to tell my clients that I work at night, though. <laughs> yeah, so I work a lot, and at some point you start getting very close to a burnout. 
But then you have mm. to watch yourself because, I mean, you're working on a project and you can't let yourself get to that point. So that when you start, that's when you start like, um, like pushing the brake and like, okay, I have to stop now. I have to start organizing myself more. Um, I don't have a lot of distractions at home. Um, I live with my family, so I could be distracted by them, but I'm not. What usually distracts me is the computer itself. Like I have a Twitter tab open. That is the number one distraction that I have. I have email <laughs> open most of the time. You get notifications from here and there. And sometimes if you're like in the flow of the work and you get that one notification from somewhere, it's enough to just break that thread of ideas. And that is enough to ruin everything. Mm -hmm. So I've been working a lot on this um, lately. So when I want to start working, I'm specifying at least like 90 minutes. I'm going to work during these 90 minutes. I'm going to be in my own zone. No email, no Twitter, no anything, no kind of distractions. Maybe even put a noise canceling headphones on and something and just focus on working. That helps a lot mm -hmm. with being more productive. I'm also organizing my time a lot better. For that, so I'm forcing myself to just turn the computer off at 5 p.m. and just stop working there. It used to be very hard. Like whenever I get, um, I'm currently working with Smashing Magazine on redesigning the, the magazine. So I'm building the front end of the new magazine. And as always, we communicate on Slack. And sometimes like Vitaly or someone else, they would get on Slack and leave notes uh, on, on the design or based on some user testing. And they leave these notes at night. And I get the notifications of those notes on my phone because I don't usually put it to silent at night. And I can't help but I find myself being pulled back into work, even at night. So, mm. yeah, it is hard. But I've been trying recently. So instead of actually turning my computer back on and working on those notes, I've been using um, Wunderlist more, which is a to-do app. So basically everything that uh, I skim through the messages and whenever I have a to-do, I just put it down into Wunderlist for the next day and I start working on it first thing uh, the next day. That's been helping me become more productive. So basically focus on specific periods during the day during which you're going to work to remove all kinds of distractions. It takes a lot of perseverance and it's literally sometimes like very similar to physical training. Training your mind to, to resist distractions is not easy, at least not for me. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you what, let's just pause for a moment. Let me point you in the direction of the podcast host because they are supporting this episode as ever and we thank them for that. If you would like some support in growing your podcast or starting one from scratch, they really can help. They can even take your recording and edit it for you and publish it to the world. So if you think, I just don't have enough time or I don't know the skills involved in editing a podcast, that really shouldn't put you off starting one. That's exactly what they're for. They can help you in that respect. They also have courses and they have mentorship and they have uh, like mastermind groups and things like that. So there's like a community feel to everybody kind of developing their own podcasts. So whether you want to get started or you want to grow the one you have, do talk to them. The podcast host is a link at beingfreelance.com. And if you use the promo code freelance, you get money off as well. There's lots of free stuff on there. But I'm just saying, if you get to the point where you want to buy stuff off them, use that code, won't you? Freelance. And tell them I said hi. Back to you, though, Sarah. And I'm wondering, how about uh, how you, you know, if you've got that kind of compulsion to sort of like just work and work because you're so into it, you're really enjoying it. And, um, you know, like you, you talked about burnout there. Are you good at like separate, do, like do projects roll in from, from one to, to the other or do you force yourself to take breaks? Do you force yourself to take holidays, vacation, uh, whatever you might call it? That is still very much work in progress. 
for example, right now, my current schedule is Friday is definitely not working day. So instead of taking Saturday and Sunday off like most people do, I like to take Friday off. So I call it, um, I could call it recreation day. Uh, it's not necessarily like, it's not that I'm going to spend it in sort of an, a holiday mode where I just go and do stuff, crazy stuff somewhere or see, do some sightseeing or whatever. I like, to, for example, if I'm going to force myself out of work, I have to distract myself with something useful that has nothing to do with work. So what I've been recently doing is reading more books, uh, books that would help me in many aspects of my life. I used to draw, I sometimes try to get myself back into drawing, but I, that hasn't been very successful recently. So yeah, I, I, I am still very much working on this. Um, recently, especially during this week, uh, as I mentioned before, I've been setting five o'clock, 5 p.m. That is when I stop working. I force myself to turn my computer off. I go out, if I find like I really need to do something, if it's work-related, I could maybe just pick up a book that's about web development and read that as long as I don't get to turn my computer on. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for now. Um, I'm not really sure what else I could be coming up with in the future, but yes, definitely time management, work-life balance is not easy. You have to train yourself into it. Um, mm. Yeah. Be because I remember, cause, so we're recording this in October <coughs> 2016, but we actually started trying to sort this out in, in May. <laughs> I think it was April or May. Yes. And I remember that there, uh, first you were busy, but then I, I'm sure like you took like a really nice, long, decent holiday. You're like, I'm just not doing anything. I'm out um, of here. I'm off. Yeah, I always say that, but I always end up doing something. So the month that I did take um, sort of off between quotations is Ramadan, which is our fasting month. So I like to take that month. Um, so it's not like it's not that I take it completely off, but... I don't prioritize the web or working on the web during that month. So it's a spiritual month. I like to do a lot of stuff offline, which means mm -hmm. that I don't take um, a lot of uh, time consuming or work commitments during that month. So I did spend it reading. I did spend it working on my website a little bit. So I wasn't completely away from the web, but I also wasn't like doing any client work or uh, making commitments with people either. And how have you managed to cope like with the the uh, sort of business the financial side of being freelance? Mm, I I'm not um I'm not an expert. Cash flow has been more consistent lately, thank God. But of course it didn't start out that way. So it took a lot of patience and perseverance to push through the drought times and keep going, putting work out there which would help me get work back in and hence make money. Um I used to take advantage of all of the downtime that I had to actually be more creative, learn new stuff, which in turn helped me get better opportunities. As for saving, for example, um, I do it, of course, just like everyone else. My parents always taught me the importance of, uh, of it, so I have been careful about it ever since I started making money myself. Um, I didn't make much in the first year, so in the first year I started working, so I had to save for like eight months, for example, to buy my first MacBook. I used to be on a very old uh, Windows machine before that. Uh, it took an overall time frame of like two and a half years to get to the office setup that I now have, which I'm totally proud of, by the way. Um, I do get sometimes uh, asked about being paid and if I have any trouble with my clients. Um, I've never had any problems with my clients, for example, refusing to pay, which I'm extremely thankful for. I, like I said before, I've been working with amazing people and I'm thankful for that. 
One thing that does bother me about being paid, though, is that I always have to factor in the fact that it always takes about a week for a payment to make it through to a bank account here in Lebanon. So that's my only um, annoyance, sort of, finance-wise. Now, one thing we we haven't touched upon is the fact that you do workshops as well. Was that like an extension of the speaking gigs? Yes. Um, it actually literally started as an extension. I was at Frontiers in 2014, and Vitaly Friedman from Smashing Conf was there. And um, I, ha- I usually cram so much information in my talks. Like, I almost always need more time to talk about the stuff that I want to talk about. So Vitaly saw that, and he was like, why, like, why don't you do a workshop about this kind of stuff, about the stuff that you're talking about? At first, I thought, I don't think I have enough material to cover a workshop. But of course, I ended up with more material so that I could literally give two-day workshops now. But it was literally an extension. So I have been giving talks. I need more time to cover all of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. So Vitaly suggested that I give a workshop, and I did it. The first workshop was at Smashing Conf in Los Angeles in 2015. And I've been doing it ever since. And another thing uh, I wanted to mention, like when, when I sort of introduced you at the beginning, it included the word award winning. And I mean, I'm sure you've probably got more than one award, but you, you won at the, the Net Award, so like Net Magazine. Yes. This, this is like the, the one of those kind of like peer reviewed type awards, yes. which I know people who work on the web really look up to and aspire to. And let's have a, a quick chat about that. So presumably you didn't have to enter. So how, how did that feel and how's it affected your work? It was amazing. I totally didn't expect that at all. Like as soon as the um, Net Awards nomination started, I saw a tweet from Anna Devenham. She's uh, British, where she said, I've just nominated Sarah Swedan for the um, Outstanding Contribution of the Year Award. And I was like, <laughs> whoa. Okay, I, told, I, I never even thought about the Net Awards. I never thought that I would be nominated. I... I really, really didn't. And then someone else tweeted, I just nominated Sarah for the Web Developer of the Year Award. And I was like, how is that even possible? (laughs) I was extremely thankful, extremely humbled. Uh, I still am. Like, I can't even begin to explain how proud and happy and humbled I am by all of that. I mean, I I never, never expected that. And then I ended up being a finalist for both of those categories. Um, and I was uh, chosen to be the Developer of the Year Award. Yeah, congratulations. So Developer of the Year for uh, 2015. How did that then impact on you and also on your work? Did you, you know, find a change? Uh, on my work, um, I'm not sure. Like, I don't, like, none of my clients that contacted me said, like, hey, Sarah, we want to work with you because you're the Developer of the Year. That never happened. So I'm not really sure if uh, my clients did do it because of that on a more personal level it does give you like this um self-confidence boost but not too much though because i'm always myself's worst critic and i still think that i'm an imposter most of the time and i have to work on that (laughs) yeah seriously sometimes i like I, i felt i did feel a little bit of guilt after i got that award like i don't deserve it um yeah but now i'm i i've made my peace with myself basically (laughs) (laughs) um well and it must be great at um driving traffic i mean you're obviously very well known already with your blog but driving people towards you who might not have found you already as well i guess Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So you spoke about sort of redeveloping your site and um, I'm just wondering what you've found has worked or, you know, what you've tweaked over the last few years that may have worked on your site or not. Um, my website started as just a blog. So I wasn't really marketing myself as a freelancer back then. Um, it was just, so the homepage was actually the blog, a list of articles. And with time, I started realizing that, um, I mean, if I'm going to get jobs from people visiting my website, I'm probably not going to be getting them if people are going to come to my website and only see a list of articles or if my contact page is only going to contain a contact form and a, um, yeah, like, hey, do you want me to work with you? Get in touch. That, that definitely wasn't enough. So at some point, I started to change the way I look up at my website. And I actually I was actually influenced by Harry, Harry Roberts. I almost said Harry Potter. I do it every time. <laughs> every time. He is a wizard. Yes, uh, definitely. Agreed. Yeah. So I was also influenced by him because he, he, at that time, he was doing and thinking exactly the same thing about his website. So I thought, okay, if people are going to land on my website, the landing page should be like a good introduction as to who I am and what I do and what I would be able to help my clients with. So if a client is going to come to my website, what is the first thing that I would want them to see? And that's definitely not a list of articles like about CSS or SVG or whatever. So I started changing the architecture of my website back then. Um, and it has been growing ever since. Like, um, it now has a speaking page, a workshop page, um, case studies, and there's a lot of elaboration about each topic in each and every one of these. Um, Design-wise, I like to keep it simple. I've never been into um, in-your-face sort of designs. I see a lot of creative designs that are just amazing, but I don't feel like those are for me. Like The, the simpler it is, the better. I even once tried like uh, coloring the header, giving it a, like a, any color that I like, it just didn't feel right. So it's currently mm. all white with just very few pops of color here and there. I like the bit which sort of talks about how how you like to work. And even more specifically than that, there's this whole section which says, do not get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's kind I, of like, I like that bit. I had to add this. I had to add this at some point because I was getting a lot of emails and spending a lot of time answering emails that were just Email is, can sometimes be a real curse. And unless you manage it really well, time-wise and content-wise and everything, it can get in the way of everything, of your work, of your creativity, of your workflow and everything. So I used to get a lot of emails from people asking to advertise on my website. I always said no. I used to get a lot of emails from um, other freelancers asking me to work for them. I don't work for other freelancers. I mean, we could work together on a project for someone, sure, but I've used to get, for example, a request from a freelancer who was like, hey, I need some help with very, this very little component and you seem to be good at what you're doing, so could you build that for me? Uh, no, that's not the kind of work I want to be doing. So I started, there was a pattern and there were many repetitive emails about the same topics that were taking too much time than they should. So I ended up adding that list and it has helped immensely ever since. Interesting. I like that. Okay. Now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Oh my God. I'm so bad at this. I, I tried to, I scratched my head trying to come up with a lie, but I'm so bad at it. So I'm going to give you three. Um, you may be able to figure out which one it is, but I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so number one, um, I once finished one of my talks on stage and completely improvised the whole thing. I once spent an entire summer doing nothing but browsing the dictionary and writing English poetry. Um, I speak four languages fluently. You speak four languages fluently? What, what are they? Um, Arabic, English, German and French. You improvised a talk, so you improvised the whole thing? Yes. And you spent a whole summer reading the dictionary and doing English poetry. Yes. I mean, which is what we all do, isn't it? Um, did you do... Oh, OK, I'm, I'm not going to dig in too deeply, but I'm going to say I don't think you would have improvised a talk. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, what if I told you I improvise all of my talks? No way! Yes way. <laughs> I, have wow. never, I have never been able to practice a talk. Um, every single time I try to practice it, I try to say, I mean, at least once, like I need to go over this talk once, at least so that I know how much time I need for it. It never works. I'm never able to do it. And there was like, I tried maybe uh, practicing two times and I always, always, always end up going up on stage and I say things in a completely different way anyway. So at some point I was like, okay, why do I even bother? Like when I get on stage and I look at the people in front of me, I mean, I feel like I'm standing among them, not on a stage in front of them. And it's like, I'm talking just like I'm talking with you now. So if you ask me a question about SVG or CSS right now, I would say it in a specific way and I would know what to say. Um, that's exactly what I've been doing. So I have just this content. I, I once literally finished a talk on stage. It was a full frontal last year, actually. I created the talk in five hours the day before my talk. I finished it on stage and I improvised the whole thing. Okay, so did you spend the summer writing English poetry yes. in the dictionary? <laughs> I was a complete nerd when I was um, a kid. So I think this is why my English is, um, as many people say, like really good. Um, I grew up watching a lot of American movies, and that definitely has to do with um, the accent that I have somehow, because many people tell me that it's more of an American accent. But um, I, I did. I mean, I think that that was the summer that I spent, that was the time the most I've used a computer during that era of, or during that um, period during my life. I wasn't a tech girl, as I mentioned. I didn't use the computer much. But during that summer, uh, we had an encyclopedia on a, a brand new computer and we had a dictionary, of course. I used to use the encyclopedia to read about dolphins and marine biology because I loved marine biology and even um, dreamt about being a marine biologist at some point. Um, and I used to just open the dictionary and start browsing words. And whenever I, I see a word that I like, I would write it down and then I would memorize the meaning of it. And I kept doing this literally for, for two months in the summer. And I had this thing, I'm not a poetry kind of person, but maybe reading all of those words, I felt this urge to start writing sentences using those words. So that was sort of poetry, very bad Wonderful. poetry, but yeah, poetry. Yeah. Wow. Well, it just goes to show that you've, you've always, you've got this thing for teaching yourself, for learning all the time. I love it. I love it. Seems to be a threat. As, you, as your friend said, you'll, you'll learn more as you go. It sounds like you're constantly doing it. Yes. Um, now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Manage your time. Well, start with that before anything else. Uh, when it comes to personal stuff, 
personal growth, definitely learn time management. It is an indispensable skill that you just need to master. Without it, you can get really messed up. Yeah, I would, I would say that. Um, maybe uh, client-wise, like things that I would uh, tell myself to remember is to always, always have a contract and to never, ever undervalue your work because I did that when I first started out. Uh, I'm actually glad that it was my very first work, my very first job that was my very worst. So I learned these lessons very early in, uh, in my career. Yeah. It sounds like, did, did you get to a point, it sounds like from what you just said there, but you got to a point where you really did burn out. Like, did it get really bad? Like you were just work, just working, working, working and... Um, I think I burnt out twice. The first time was during my first job. Um, I had to literally quit um, in the middle of it because uh, I used to wake up at 8. I used to turn my computer on, start working before anything else, before washing my face, before eating breakfast, before anything. I would start at 8 and stop at 12 a.m. So that's 16 hours of work every day for two weeks. Um, at some point, I just physically couldn't do it anymore. I had to quit. Um, it was my fault because I set my client's expectations too high back then. So I basically started working like that for a few days. And so they started expecting me to continue working like that. I didn't know better. I didn't know a lot of, I didn't know any of the stuff that I know now. And then there was the second burnout. It was late 2015. Uh, that was also, that was caused not by development work, but more by speaking. So I had so many speaking engagements back to back. And I used to create a new talk for every uh, conference. So that used, that means a lot of stress, a lot of work, a lot of repetition. And uh, you know that talk at Full Frontal that I mentioned where that I improvised completely on stage? I had been in Portland for a ViewSourceConf before that two days before that and one week before ViewSource I was in uh, uh, that was Los Angeles I think for CSS DevCon so so it was three conferences back to back and between like I was in Portland that was in west the US and I flew from Portland all the way to Brighton UK I was completely jet lagged I was physically sick um, I was so tired and I didn't have a talk I created that talk doing all that physical and emotional stuff that I was going through. And then I improvised it the next day. It went amazing. I'm actually pretty proud of that talk and I'm very thankful for that. But that led to me, I was like, okay, I'll just take a week after that to rest. But then I realized that a week wasn't even close to enough. Uh, the week passed by and I was still as tired as I was before. And that's when I realized, okay, I had reached... Um, burnout that was caused by all of the speaking that I was doing before. Not just those three conferences, but I had, I had a lot of um, other engagements during those two, two months. So that's when I started thinking more about what engagements I should be taking, the time between each one, how many per month. Yeah, I learned my lessons. 
Ma'am. Well, I'm glad you did, and uh, glad you're doing okay now. It's yeah. a it's a wonderful story. Good for you. Thank you so much for sharing with us today Thank as well. Uh, do check out beingfreelance.com. There'll be links through to Sarah's uh, site and her blog and everything which she's up to. Uh, and also, for that matter, I'll put a link in the show notes for this page for Harry Roberts' episode, because you mentioned him, and we did yes. talk to him as one of our first guests actually so uh the css wizardry uh harry roberts as well um but sarah thank you so much and well all the best being freelance thank you thank you for having me